Hello and welcome to this special edition of the ANF podcast with me, Scott Casson Rennie, and himself, uh, Jeremy Paxman. No, Alcoats, Alcoats, Alcoats. Oh, how you wish. We've had Not. some fun this morning, haven't we? We've we've we already have, recorded yeah. the interview, and so we're doing the intro afterwards. So we know how it goes, yeah. but let's imagine. And it's only ten to twelve on a Monday. I know, and I'm. I've got four inches of snow. I've got to get to King's Cross, which is uh, six miles. I might have to hike it. I'm going to tennis rackets on my feet, and I'm off. Yeah, yeah. Put your spikes on, mate. Northern man yeah, through yeah, the thing. Yeah. So t- well, anyway, people don't care about that. Um, but no. we are speaking to the Shadow Minister, Helen Hayes, which yeah. is interesting. Because... Mm. Well, it's interesting because she said she said yes. I mean, really yes. easy, and we've tried. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll question her because she Especially said yes after um, you know Wilkins. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yes. How, how many days do we give her? Mm. Would you think she'll make seven. the weekend? Was it seven or was it ten? I can't remember. It might be ten. We'll give her ten days, yeah. and if she's still yeah. in power or she's still in place, um, yeah. but we, I asked her. Um, do you know I can't? Re- do you know I can't remember now what was said off? But there was a tweet, and I saw. I, oh, she yeah. followed me. That's what. Well, that's mm. the interesting point. She followed me yeah. randomly, and so then mm. I followed her and um, and asked if she'd come so on. So you were able yeah. to DM then, yeah. Yeah, DM'd her, and um, I have to say, uh, I'm a, I was a little bit nervous before the interview because I thought um, Will Quinns can talk about things in absolute terms as the minister because yeah. he can say mm-hmm. yes, I will do this, and yes, I won't do that, and or yeah. it's in, within his gift, and but. Her not having that made me think, well, is this just going to be a bit of a meh political interview? Yeah. And, of course, we got some questions that we couldn't really ask her for because she can't really commit to stuff. You know, yeah. she's, a, she's a shadow minister at the minute. <clears throat> um, you know, and she might not even be the minister if there's a change in government. It's, oh, it's oh, all yeah. if so, but, isn't it? Yeah, crikey. Yeah. So, anyway. Yeah. Anyway. But, well, that's it. Well, should we just crack on and just go into yeah, it? Just, just play the tape. Yeah, it's, it's fine. Play the tape. I've get, I've got my pencil in my C90 and I'm rewinding it. <laughs> just swing it like we used to. Oh, yeah. Yeah, do you remember? Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Uh, do you remember C15s? Who on earth wants C15s? I mean, what's the what point of that? What's a C15? That? I know C90. 15 minutes. You got C15, C45, C90, Oh, is C1. that what the number was for? <laughs> oh, my days. Seriously. <laughs> You idiot. Um, <laughs> oh, my days. Oh, oh I, see, every day is a school day, isn't it? Wow, I never knew that. You're only 30 years behind, and, and now I'm they're defunct. Stupid, yeah. stupid boy. C-120s, like, you know, really. Oh, you left them out in the sun on the car, in the car, and they all turn to mush. Anyway. Oh, do you know, and you've just reminded me that video cassettes had E-180s, didn't they? Which was a three-hour. <laughs> so why did I not connect this up? <laughs> oh, my days. <laughs> Well, oh, and okay, on that yeah. bombshell, yeah, <laughs> literally split tip. <laughs> Today we're speaking to Helen Hayes, who is the Shadow Minister for Children and Early Years, and also the MP for Dulwich and West Norwood. Hello, Helen. Hi, really nice to be with you today. Well, thank you for coming on because we know that we're an interesting proposition. Isn't that right, Scott? <laughs> Oh, it's too early for your jokes, but yes, we are. Yes, we are. And so, and star points. So, I mean, I really appreciate you coming on because we're conscious that you know, in your role as as the shadow minister, you've got this brief, but actually, you don't necessarily have that much power. So, we're just 
today we really want to just find out a little bit about you and a bit about the work and your aspirations. So could you sort of give us an, you know, tell us a little bio. Who are you? How did you end up being who you are? So um, I grew up in the northwest of England in um, a small town called Ormskirt, just outside Liverpool in West Lancashire. Um, I grew up with parents who both worked in the public sector. My, my dad worked in um, for the local authority in Liverpool. My mum worked um, in the local hospital and um, had the opportunity to go back to education when she was. Uh, so I did my GCSEs and my A-levels and my degree in the same year as my mum, um, wow. which was a kind of uh, wow. a, a, a lovely um journey to kind of go on, go on together um, as she was going back to education and I was going through it for the first time. Um, I um, went to a school, uh, the local comprehensive school. Um, I saw, I, I think the start of my politics was growing up in an environment where we could see the impact of decisions that politicians were making on our day-to-day lives. We could, you know, in the Northwest of England in the 1980s, I had friends who's parents were being made redundant. We could see the impacts of rising unemployment. We could see um, in in our school, where I had a brilliant school with, went to a brilliant school with really fantastic teachers, but the school was literally falling apart around us. And, yeah. um, you know, that, that uh, from a very, very early age, I remember having just a very strong sense of justice and fairness and a, a real drive around, you know, the things that weren't right and the people who were suffering the consequences of, of, mm-hmm. of, of thing, thing, things not being right. Um, so I, I went to university um, and I actually, as, as happens so often, I fell into the same profession as my dad. Um, so I, I became um, a town planner and I, I worked in, in town planning for the best part of 20 years, um, working all across the country with different communities around change in the urban environment and um you know learned from that that um i suppose towns and cities are always changing and that can happen in a way that benefits people and delivers you know for communities or it can happen in a way that's a disaster for you know and every town yeah. every city has got examples of that and so the work that i did was very much all, always about engaging talking to local communities trying to get the best and the sort of fairest fairest outcomes um in town planning but that's obviously it's quite different to uh the role that i have now which is yeah. um, speaking for labor on on behalf of children and um young people and thinking about childcare and the early years uh sector thinking about children's social care and the way that we support and that government supports the most vulnerable children, um, thinking about children with special educational needs and disabilities, um, and uh, and also aspects of youth, of youth work and uh, children's mental health as well. Um, but the, the the passion that I have for this brief comes really from that that sense of justice, that sense that we yeah. you know owe it as a society to be doing, you know, it's it, it's a it's a marker of us, you know, as a society, how how we support those who are the most vulnerable. Children shouldn't suffer as a consequence of the decisions that adults make. And the systems that we have in place to support children and young people are fundamentally an investment in the future that we, you know, we do the best by all of us when we really deliver for for children and, and for the most vulnerable children. So I'm really, I've been doing this role for about a year now and, um, you know, I can't think of a better job in in politics. 
Oh, and that, and that's really interesting. Ministers, that's, well, that's, yeah. That's quite an achievement. But... Sorry, <laughs> you could tell we're not exactly impressed with the, the current state of affairs either. But... No, no, no. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry, Al, I interrupted you. But, no, I mean, it was that point, really, is that, you know, a year as a children's minister around these parts makes you kind of um, a grandee, doesn't it? Um, and I think what that reflects maybe, um, I guess, what is sort of felt, I think, within large parts of the the community that we reflect, uh, is that this is seen as a a, a training ground for ministers um, mm. at best, uh, or as a safe place to put your mate at uh, worst. And mm. how does it fit within the, the Labour kind of the Labour Party? Because obviously it's a shadow role. Um, uh, what does that mean? I mean, is it just you're literally waiting for the, the shadow minister, the, sorry, the minister to say something and you have to respond? Or is it, what is the, what does the function of that look like? Well, there, there are two aspects uh, to, to any shadow role. And, and the first is the day-to-day -day job of holding the government to account for what what they are doing with that particular area of responsibility. So we are looking every day at what what the government is doing, what they're and, what, and also with this brief, what they're not doing, what they're delaying bringing forward, yeah, and, yeah. and 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 take it, taking action on um, and trying to make sure that there is that accountability and challenge to the government. But we are also preparing for the next election and um, very very much working uh, towards you know, doing doing everything we can to make sure that there's a Labour victory at that election and that when we get that victory, we are ready to govern and mm. um, know what it is from day one that we want to achieve and are, are ready to do that. Um, you know, it, it it's easy to be focused on that moment of the of the general election, but actually what comes after it is is so much more important and you only have that opportunity once. So making sure that we are ready and, and prepared really to deliver for the country after the election is also an important part of any of any shadow role of mine is no different to that so assuming then that <clears throat> let's let's assume let's make an assumption that labor win the next election and you are at that point the shadow minister does that automatically mean that you become the minister or is it something that you know is is kind of you know, we've we've all seen these kind of reshuffles and stuff like that is is that is it a similar thing that happens because i I thinking back to the last um, change in government, um, as in you know party. You can tell I'm not very political. Sorry. Um, thinking back to that when the, the coalition government was formed, I, I don't recall you know the kind of how it all happened and stuff like that. But but is is that how it happens? I don't think there's any. So, so the, I mean, the first thing to say is we're, we're not assuming that we win the next election at all. We're, we're working as hard as we can for it, but not for a single moment will I, ever make that, will I ever make that assumption um, yeah. and, and, until we're there. Um, assumptions are very dangerous things in politics, and and, it, and there, there isn't any automatic transition from 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 being um, you know the shadow anything to being in government. Not least because, as we saw with the coalition government the outcomes of elections can be completely unpredictable. So, yeah. um, you know, you can have a complete team as one party and end up in coalition and the roles need to be shared out. And so so that the, 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 there isn't that inevitability. Um, I, I'd hope that, and, and I think it is the case that there's a value in the expertise that you build up as a shadow minister and, and the work that, that all of us across our different briefs will have done um, to prepare for government. And, and so there would be some value in in, in that stability mm. as far as that's possible, but it, it isn't an inevitability at all. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I find it fascinating. Um, I'm conscious that at the last um, 
at the last uh, general election. See, I know all the phrases, general election, <laughs> functioning adult that I am, um, that the, the Tories um, put out, had a very clear policy statement around children in relation to things around permanence. Uh, and so is there a sense of, I'm not sure how to, how, how do you come up with an opposition policy? Is it literally, are you, do you have a, a small team or a big team around you? And are you, do you get the opportunity to put, things into the manifesto in relation to children because I, I think we we saw such a sea change when the coalition government came in which is 12 years ago and so is that is that sort of it is that part of your day job that's tinkering way at the back getting ready for the development of a manifesto yeah so so different parties do their manifesto processes in in, in different ways in the, in the labor party our policy um comes from the grassroots so there's an interaction between we we can put forward proposals as the shadow front bench team right. on any given brief and we obviously you know i hope we make a good contribution to, to that to that debate from the day-to-day -day work that we do and, and and the expertise that we're able to build up over a period of time um and we we but but that process of developing the manifesto is something that happens with our labor membership and through a kind of democratic process in the party so and it's an interaction of the of, 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 the, of those two things really what the kind of shadow front bench the kind of front facing part of the of, right. of the party has to say um and then also you know what our, what our members think are, are are important and that process happens kind of quite late before the election but there's obviously there are obviously there are plenty of clues coming forward in in the lead up to the to the election right. you know around what we're, what we're going to say and i think when it comes to children i mean for the labor party children have always been front and center of our policy making um yeah. and and our actions when we're in government and so there's there's a part of it that's about thinking about with the specific brief of you know children's social care um what will we do and and what what are the the very specific policies that we'll bring forward but there's a, a larger part of it that's about how do we create a policy environment across the whole that works to alleviate poverty that works to you know one of the things that we are most proud of of our, our record when we were last in government is that we lifted a million children out of poverty yeah. we, we know that there's a direct relationship between the pressure of poverty on families and um the numbers of children who end up being looked after children and and and, and in the care system and adverse childhood experiences that the impacts of which last a lifetime so so that that bigger yeah how do we create an economy and a society that is fairer and delivers more for the families that have the least, um, yeah. I think is as much an, an, as important a part of the, you know, the process of thinking about children as, as, as is the kind of the specifics of, um, mm. you know, exactly what children's social care looks like under a Labour government. And so, I mean, so effectively you're saying that if, if we were members of the Labour Party, then that we would have an opportunity to lobby or, or feed back our views and thoughts. Um, now, I'm asking for a friend, but if you didn't live in the same country as um, England, could you join the Labour Party? Um, I, I think I think there is a scope for international membership. I think just hypothetically. It's an hour on, on a Ryanair flight, so you know I'm I'm not sure international. I don't see it as international, but yeah, I'm sure I'm sure that's what would come under the definition. You could start Ennis's first Labour branch. <laughs> you, you could be the chair and the treasurer and everything. Um, <laughs> 
and so that that feels interesting because I feel, sometimes it feels like there's no um the opposition to what the in the policies in relation to children it feels like there's not been a not a very potent voice in and you know i don't want to be critical but i'm kind of reflecting um for example the care review where it was very much uh, we need a care review the care review is good we need to do it is there an, is there any more nuance to that because i think that the community um has has had concerns around some aspects of the care review so i was wondering what you know what are your thoughts what you're thinking around so that, all that stuff that that isn't that isn't our position on the on on the care review um right we welcome the fact that the government has commissioned the review and that the review's been completed and you know absolutely grateful to to Josh McAllister and his team for all of the work that went into the care review and the kind of drive that that he has to see real meaningful change in in children's social care um but i think at the moment we've got a conservative government in power and absolutely nothing is going to change for children until the government responds to the review and sets out what they are going to do. Um, that That's the kind of first priority for moving children's social care forward. And we've, we've, we have a situation where the situation has been getting worse for the most vulnerable children for 12 years now. And this area of policy hasn't had the care and attention either from the coalition government or from subsequent conservative governments that it, that it, 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 it's needed. Um, so that that's different to saying that we're uncritical or right. that you know we haven't got a nuanced approach to to the review. I was clear in responding to the review when it was published that we want to see the review taken forward with the full in, involvement and engagement of the people who work most closely with vulnerable children, whether that's social work professionals or you know foster carers and um families and with care experienced people themselves and there's a huge amount in the review uh, and it needs that needs unpacking and it need, you know the, there's a mm. lot about which there is a, a, a very very broad consensus and a lot of things that that you know should have frankly happened years ago and and that there's very little excuse for the kind of lack of action um but there are some really complicated big proposals there as well and and some yeah. things where i think that, you know there, there there is a need for further exploration um and uh, unpacking and, and consultation and engagement with um, the sector. So it, it, you know, but but it that we 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 will work be, we will and we are working through hmm. what Labour's approach will be, and, and we'll set that out ahead of the election. But in the meantime, as I said earlier, our job is to scrutinise the government and to challenge them on their lack of action. And you know, they've got the review; they need to say what they're going to do with it. And they, you know, they they can't be using, you know, anything as an excuse for just sitting on their hands, you know, and, and anymore. And you, yeah. you, you know, we've we've had this sort of merry-go-round of children's ministers. Every, I mean, I know, you know, from from you know, having been in in my role for a year, it takes a while to get up to speed with a new brief. Yeah, yeah. And so every single time there's a change of person in that role, children experience further delay. In in seeing the action that they need, and and so that, and that, that so that's our first priority. While we are still in opposition, is to just be pushing the government to it, it respond and to take action mm. on children's social care sector that you know really is in crisis at the moment, and um, you know a situation that for many families and also for social workers um, and other professionals 
you know an intolerable day-to-day environment that they that 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 they face um yeah yeah, yeah. and for a once in a lifetime um review as it was pitched i mean it was quite disappointing to see the numbers that turned out to discuss it in parliament i mean you're talking mm-hmm. about a handful of um mm-hmm. people <laughs> mps you know um that, that that were kind of there for that i mean was that a was that expected do you think or you know? so i think i think that's a function of the type of debate that it that it was so so really the government should have it, it, which is also a function of the government's delay so you know the government the review was published um in the spring uh there has been no published response from the government in like seven months now and no opportunity for parliament to debate in mm. detail children's social care. And so what one of my colleagues, Rachel Maskell, did was apply for that debate under yeah. the Backbench Business Committee, Correct. which allows for, for um, Backbench MPs to come forward and with a proposal to debate anything that, that, that they think is in, you should be debated by parliament. Yeah. And it is a, it, it's a really sort of um, unfortunate feature of how that works, that those debates are often, the time that's allocated is often on a Thursday afternoon. And that's often the time when a majority of MPs are not in London because they're back in their constituencies on a Thursday and there isn't mm. kind of business that requires MPs to be in Westminster. And so you can have the most important issue in the world and it's no reflection of the lack of care or concern amongst parliamentarians um, about yeah. that issue. It's a function of the practicality of having a debate on a Thursday mm-hmm. when they've got things to do in their constituencies. But but that that you know that that's on the government. The government should have brought forward a response yeah. with much more urgency and there should have been a full opportunity for in government time for MPs to debate children's social care and, and the care review and, and for, for MPs to be able to represent their constituents and children in their constituencies. Um and, and that 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 hasn't been possible. Because I guess we're on to our third minister since the review was published. Yeah. Um, yeah, Will Quince, then the the one in between, and the current one. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, it's it's reached a point where it's, it's is it worthwhile yeah. even remember it, remembering their name? Catino, Catino, Cahino, um, is the current one. Um, I, I guess if I'm, I mean, I'm being really honest. I so for this interview, I thought, unlike most of our interviews, I just turn up. This one, I thought, right, I'm going to do some work. Um, and so I went away and read some stuff. But I was surprised that the, it just felt that this air, because like you say, it's a once in a lifetime review, which is, did a, you know, a, how exciting. Mm. But then we just saw that there was such a limited response. But I think, is it a communication issue in that sense that you've made it really clear to me that you're just, you're waiting for them to come out and go, we're going to do X, Y, Z. And then you can put a counter message or, whatever you want but even the 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 debate a few weeks ago people don't understand that do they the messaging is that no one's interested that's because that's what social media was rife you know in our community on no one's interested Mm -hmm. which is and it it sends its own visual message doesn't it that people will interpret in that way that if, if you see a really important issue being debated and the benches in the house of commons are empty yeah, um, yeah. You know, people will draw their own conclusions from that. But I, I as I say, I think it. Uh, if you look at any debate on a Thursday afternoon, um, on a whole range of different topics, you know, of often of equal importance, um, it's often like that on a Thursday afternoon in the in 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 the House of Commons. But w- what we should have had it is much more opportunity 
in government, you know, the government bringing this issue to Parliament and saying this is important, this is what we're going to do about it, and um, you know, it, it, here is the opportunity for scrutiny, and and that's that's what's been lacking. Yeah, and of mm. course, not not all MPs live in London. <laughs> you've got you know you've got people from all over the country, haven't you? So. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and there might have been a party on. Um, so, and in, in terms of the care of, sorry, uh, the care, <laughs> you're on the care, fire this I morning. I can say it. Maybe Helen can, but I can say. It. Um, in, in terms of the review, then, and and the engagement with the care experienced um, uh, community. I mean, obviously, we had um, these experts by experience. I think they were they were kind of labelled, if you like. Um, there's been kind of a lot of discussion again about this and and how wide it went. Do you think that the the net was cast wide enough in terms of the experience that, that was brought to it, or would you have liked to have seen more? Or so I think that the that the review is based on very wide engagement. I don't I don't think that there are, there are you know Josh you know that the, the net was widely cast in it relative to lots of government um consultations there were yeah. you know, there was a good level of engagement with it and a good i think a good level of awareness across care experience sector that it that it was happening i, I suppose i think it's a um it, that there's a that there is a real need for ongoing engagement um as the government response is published and the implementation of reform is taken forward that having you know engagement should be continuous it, it's, yeah. it's 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 never it's never enough to sort of do engagement at a period you know at, at one moment in time and then for the government to say well there was a load of engagement at that point so now we're doing something that might be a bit different to that but we don't need to sort of talk to people anymore i think i think it and and particularly this is you know an area where you know like relationships are everything in across children's social care um both in terms of day-to-day -day practice um but also in terms of the perspectives of that people bring to it often from very difficult experiences that they've had in their own lives and you know that that needs to be respected within you know the the conversation i, I think and you know so so i think it you know the 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 engagement around the review was you know, there was a lot of engagement around the review, mm. but that isn't to say that that you know that yeah. there shouldn't be ongoing engagement and dialogue going forward with everybody who's got a perspective on. Yeah. on I mean, I know that there'll be people listening to this who will be having cows when you've said that. I mean, that's that they will because they will genuinely think that, and I, and I totally get your position that you know by comparison to most government engagement this was <laughs> significantly bigger um and but i think that within and obviously we're sort of keyed into parts of the community i think within the care experienced and within the professional um you know as a social worker i none of my i don't know anyone who knew about it other than me and i told them all of course um but i mm -hmm. think it was it was it was as it was billed as a once in a lifetime mm. if didn't feel like that and there was a I mean Josh McAllister was up front because we interviewed him as at the start of the process and he said the government want to get this done while they've got a majority to, in the in this term um and obviously they've they're running out of time now aren't they they're the, the clock's ticking so it, it did there was a lot of people who felt mm, and that, that's not necessarily I mean that's not a criticism of you but I think that that mm -hmm. that just is something I think maybe for you to, you know, if you could appreciate that, there was a lot of people who thought felt actually quite excluded by the review. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
So we can give I you their names the, and addresses. If you want. <laughs> I think the the speed it went through at as well. I think that was um, yeah. highly mm. criticised because once in a lifetime mm. you would expect it to take um, not to be slow, but to certainly take some time. Um, and of course, a lot of the stuff was done around social media, wasn't it? In terms of engagement and stuff, and you know, not everybody is on social media. So you know, there's there's lots of things we could criticize and debate about it but i think yeah. that you know that's definitely our kind of our experience of, of what we've seen and what we've what we've heard so yeah yeah, yeah. and i think as i said, i think the, the the important thing is that there are those opportunities going forward um mm. it, in you know this will be whatever the government decides to do and whatever an incoming Labour government does around social, children's social care it, it will be a, a, a significant set of changes you know that are implemented over a period of time and 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 mm. having that opportunity for people to um you know feed in and 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 for there to be a sort of open dialogue and an open conversation with you know ar around it um yeah. you know I, th I think i think is important i i, I you know I, I think the review you know as you've as you've said the review is a product of, of the circumstances and you know any any piece of work is a you know reflects yeah. the circumstances in which it was commissioned um it only had to be a once in a lifetime review because there'd been such a neglect of this area over such a long period of time i mean actually mm -hmm. it, you know, that set up a, a huge level of expectation on yeah. it because there had been you know so little action for such a long period of time um but you know the it's the, the the implementation needs to be got right and that will involve you know further yeah. dialogue and conversation and listening to those who've got a, you know a, a wide range of perspectives on it yeah because it you it could become quite complicated in that you know let's like to put our imaginary heads on and imagine that in two years time that you as a government the labor government steps in and at that point the 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 decisions have been made around the review that you may have to pick up a ball that isn't necessarily the ball you want to pick up and then but then in this kind of in the wisdom of Solomon, do I do we then do another review or do we because then we just then everyone will just go, oh, my goodness, we've just had a review. The last thing we want is another review, especially when this one went half half cocked. That must put you in a I mean, I, I, you know, we fully appreciate you're a politician and we <laughs> we fully appreciate, you You know, it, that you've got to be careful, haven't you? You, you? you Every word you say has to be chosen really carefully at this point. But it must be a sense of frustration thinking. Oh, this could be a right mess to kind of make sense of when and if we get into power. I mean, I think there'll be so many things <laughs> when we get into power that we will inherit, inherit that, um, you know, would that it were different, you know. Um, yeah. And, you know, that's uh, uh, that that's the nature of politics. Yeah. It's the, na it's yeah, the nature of... Um, you know, being in opposition and then hoping to be in in government, I I think we we mustn't lose sight of the need, um, the, just the the urgent need that there is for for change and action on the ground, and uh, you know, picking up from wherever the government gets to and working working out what needs to be done, um, mm. you know, to to get to a more tolerable situation for children and their families um yeah you know that i mean that's the child that's the challenge that we've got isn't it um yeah um can i um ask a few sort of questions that people sent to us and um we fully appreciate that you can't say yes or no you know we totally get that, that you're not in a position to it's not within your gift 
even if you want to say yes, it doesn't mean it's going to happen. Um, so we've got a, a, a couple of in, uh, questions. Uh, one from a woman called Pam Hodgkins, who's an adopted person herself, and she's also um, she's been a social worker and she's campaigned for decades in relation to supporting adult adoptees and supporting adoptive parents. Absolute star. So if you need anyone to talk to, we can give you a number. Um, and she asked, um, in relation to the Joint Commission on Human Rights into forced adoption, which has just sort of reported and been sort of running over the last couple of years, um, would uh, would Labour consider funding services for those adults who are sort of impacted even now um, by their experience of adoption um, before it's too late as an input? Uh, and she said, because it, it feels it would be as important as an apology, which is something, again, that they're looking for. Mm -hmm. Um, look, I'd be really happy to have a conversation with her about um, that. It's a, it, you know, it, it's a, a, it, it's an important and a really, really sensitive area of mm. um, policy, isn't it? And I think we would certainly recognise that that support hasn't been there and isn't there um, at the moment, and you know, be keen to create a, 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 a framework for that and to and to be to be looking at it as as you say. I can't, you know, I can't make. Um, policy and I can't make funding commitments kind of on the on, on the fly that wouldn't be the, that wouldn't be the right thing to do um but I think reckon you know there is uh, you know th uh, that 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 report is a very very significant intervention into this um policy space and it's it, it's important that that is met with a meaningful response mm. I mean Pam was the founder of norcap which obviously is no longer in existence but mm. you know that was a really and and like Gal said, she's a very much um, a campaigner for um, those who've been adopted as well to receive support because, I mean, that's the other thing that we read about every day, adoptees or an adopted adult, should I say, you know, accessing services and support. It's a really hard mm -hmm. thing because, you know, as adoptive parents, we can provide what we can provide, but actually there's, mm -hmm. there's a need for adopted people to be able to access their own services. Do, do, you, do you have a thought on that? Um, yeah, no, I think that's right. I, mean, I think that it speaks to the changing nature of adoption, doesn't it? That it, it and the, and the kind of um, you know both the changing nature of children who are being adopted now, but also I think our our recognition of the long lasting impact of adverse childhood experiences and the importance of identity that that it, it, to, to each and every single one of us to you know to have that understanding of. Who you are and where you've come from in every in every sense and all of the different components that make up the the the, the person the person that you are as a as an adult, um, and I think access to to support in um, in that sense is you know I reflect on my friend um, who passed away a couple of years ago in her eighties who was um, I, we only I actually only found out from her partner after she, after she died had been adopted under circumstances where the the family doctor had she was in this was in the states i should say not in the uk um but the family doctor had um phoned up her parents who he knew hadn't been able to have a family of their own in the middle of the night and said uh, you know i've got a baby um you know from yeah. a very very young mother and you know here Breaking. she is um and that the lack of you know opportunity that there ever was for for, for our friend to you know, reflect on that or understand, and also the, the extent to which she didn't. You know, she didn't really want that. Um, but you know, in 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 that time, in the time since then, you know, 
that the nature of adoption has changed so so much but so has our understanding of you know mental health and well-being yeah. in in particular and what that what that means for um mm. you know children who've who've suffered that kind of you know separation and, and and multiple different traumas um very very early on in their life and i think that needs to be met with a policy response that says you know the support is is available and available to be accessed in inappropriate ways yeah yeah um i've got another question um which is uh, from one of we've got some sort of we have listeners who badger us endlessly um and so that's you know that's the nature of what we do um, but we've got some uh, who always have uh, are always really engaged with us um so one called wriggles 10 i think scott probably knows her real name but i'm not sure i can't remember and um, um, she's talked about the general a bit more about the system really and um thinking about you know the the re- the the recruitment and retention of foster carers as well as social workers i mean just reflecting i recently had a young mum a mum and child who were in i support them in foster care um, and the the child social worker she had five in in nine weeks children's social workers so that's that's the state of play and she'd actually had 33 foster placements this young mum and um, but have you got any sort of thoughts about system change in relation to foster care and recruitment and retention? And even we've got like a national recruitment board for adoption, which is another story when probably don't have time for that, but you know, do you have any views, perspectives, you know, hopes and aspirations in relation to that foster care recruitment and retention? So I think the um, making sure that foster carers are properly supported you know, is is absolutely the 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 key. Um, that the, you know that the issue that you mentioned around sort of constant turnover of social workers. You know, this is this needs to be about a series of a series of stable relationships around the child, of which social yeah. workers are a, a a component. And we need we need to be. You know, it's what it's why one of the kind of most important reasons why reform is so urgently needed is to stabilise the social work profession and enable local authorities to build teams of social workers, you know, working for the long term with children and families in that particular place um, and working with foster carers. So, so that kind of support is important. I went to visit a few months ago, I went to visit a mockingbird uh, yep. constellation in um, down in Portsmouth and um, was you know, really struck by the effectiveness of that way of working and the number of um, the number of foster carers in that constellation who said, you know, if it wasn't for this, I wouldn't still be fostering um, okay. because it gave me the, you know, the the network of relationships that bolstered um, what I was doing and provided for respite and um, provided for advice and um, you know gave. My child, who I'm fostering, um, a, a, also a series of other relationships and other places that they can they could go to for for, for support, um, and so I think that you know that, that there's a a role for um, for for that kind of model and good practice and 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 looking at how that's applied and and how how it can be more widely uh, applied. But it, it it you know we need to look at why the conversion rate from people expressing an interest in foster care to those actually you know translating into actual foster carers is so low and there are a whole yeah. range of different yeah. you know factors that 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 contribute to that attrition rate as people go through the process and find out more um but it you know certain certainly the, the the network of support 
you know, recognizing that foster care is it, it's a skilled thing to do. It, you know, it, it's um, and it can be an enormously rewarding thing to do. You know, I mean, like, you know, yeah. the, the best possible rewards. You know, um, but it can also be very, very challenging, and you know, mm. very, very up and down on a day by day, week by week basis. And you know, what are the things that that people need to really sustain them through all of all of that, and and you know, help them to find those rewards in in, in foster care. Thank you. We also had a um, question. We've recently had um, the National Union of Professional Foster Carers and we've also had uh, Sarah Anderson, who runs Foster Wiki, which is kind of, a, again, a collective and a, a focus point for people. And there's a very clear move to try and professionalise foster care mm-hmm. and make it into a profession. Is that do you have a I'm not going to put you on the spot, but I will. Um, <laughs> is that something you see as a, a realistic or a realistic sort of um thing that's going to happen forgive my rubbish words um or do you see that as you know again because the impacts of cost of living uh, conditions yeah. all of that stuff we've just sort of expected nice people to be nice do we need yeah. to professionalize it so so i think the um you know looking at the framework of support that there is you know for foster carers in it you know in the round uh, that you know how are foster carers supported to you know, develop the skills that they need to be looking, particularly to be looking after children who, who've got more complicated needs, um, that the uh, framework of support that's provided through the foster fostering allowance. And I've got some, you know, we're doing some work at the moment around the extent to which that isn't keeping pace with the cost of living, um, l- looking at the support that's provided through the social work system and looking at the support that can be provided through peer support networks like the Mockingbird um, model. Um you know that that that's all that's all important. I do think the work that Robin is doing through the um, National Union of Foster Carers around um, access to support and representation for foster carers when yeah. things go wrong is is really important. That yeah. you know we we can't be asking people to step up to do uh, challenging work and then to be left entirely unsupported when yeah. you know, there are you know allegations or you know comple- all of the complexities that that, that that can arise and i think the work that he does in that space is is really important thank you um so and and thinking about when when i was thinking about talking to you i was thinking about the kind of focus of you know governments and politicians and departments and all that sort of stuff you've all got priorities and what have you um having been involved in this for so long there seems to be this um this kind of process where something's done in one area so as an example the adoption support fund was established in 2015 um it's progressed a little bit since then it's fair to say you know we now provide support for sgos if they're aware of it probably the most common thing we hear is that um you know sgos are unable to access it because of varying Mm -hmm. circumstances um and i guess i'm just asking this question really uh, you know is it the case that you you fix one thing and then you move on to another thing and just let that go, or is it you know is it all kind of is it juggling lots of balls? Because I'm just thinking you've got fostering, you've got adoption, and this is based on our podcast. Obviously, I know you've got more than this, and it goes wider than yeah. this. But you've got mm-hmm. fostering, adoption, special guardianship, kinship carers. You know that's a lot to kind of juggle in there, and and each of them all trying to grab finance. Mm-hmm support you know all this kind of stuff how how do you juggle that and how do you make sure that you know it's a, it's how do how do we 
I'm going to use a really horrible phrase, but how do you level that up so that everybody is in the same boat? Because we're all looking after children who yeah. have been through, you know, aces, let's face it, or trauma or, you know, how do you, how do, you do that? Yeah. Well, I, th- I, mean, I think the, current, the, the situation that we're in currently is, is a consequence of, you know, 12 years of, you know, funding cuts to local authorities and resources being squeezed and, that yeah. creates an environment where every individual bit of the sector is under pressure and often under intolerable pressure and really crying out for help and support. Um, I think where we where we want to get to is 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 to a a place of consistency across the country. So one of the things that I'm you know very very concerned about and exercised by is the um, you know, the level of of um, it, poor performance in local authorities. So then, the, you know, we've got a situation where fifty percent of all local authorities are rated inadequate or requiring improvement, mm. um, and that creates a postcode lottery essentially for for you know people who yeah. are looking after the most vulnerable children. And you know, resources are, I think, a part of that um, set of problems, um, but resources don't explain why there are some local authorities that are doing exceptionally well and actually if you can get you know so you know Southwark which is one of my local authorities you know doing really well Leeds is always the example that people um yeah. you know quote of an, an authority that has done and, and what what when you look at what they've done well they've managed to work proactively to yeah prevent the need particularly for long-term residential placements for children as a consequence of which they save quite significant amounts of money being spent on you know private sector residential placements for children that they're able to put into early help and support and support for foster carers and you know to create that more you know supportive framework around the most vulnerable children that that then delivers better outcomes and and I want every local authority across the country to be like that where we're not talking about different bits of the care sector competing against each other but we're talking about identifying the most suitable route for each and every child based on their needs yeah um where you know whether you're a kinship carer or a foster carer or a special guardian or an adoptive family um, you know the support that you need is fit for purpose for for the child or children that you're looking after. Yeah. yeah. So selfishly, then, as as adoptive parents, I I hold my hands up. I cannot ad- access the adoption support fund because I don't live in the country anymore. However, um, you know, we go year to year of this being. Maybe it will happen. Maybe it won't. You know, everybody being concerned that it's not going to continue on. Um, even though you know, for them not to continue on would be. A, an absolute travesty and you know <clears throat> we've well i've certainly sat in meetings with um some um some civil servants at the dfe and discussed the financing of the adoption support fund um but it seems to have kind of stalled in terms of the future mm-hmm. now we've got it for until when uh 24 the, well the spending review in 24 yeah. so that'll be 25 exactly. yeah mm-hmm. um but what about beyond then you know, is this is uh, you must be you are aware of it. I know you are. You seem pretty clued up. So you know, I'm going to give you that one. <laughs> um, but you know, what what would what would that look like under a new government? Do you think? Yeah. Would it be there? Yeah. So I I mean I think that 
this sits within that within the wider context of 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 the need for reform and you know looking at mm. how support is how support is provided I, I i'm not particularly comfortable myself with um you know uh, lots of individual short term yeah. pots of money yeah. but particularly where it can be completely predicted that the problems are not uh, the issues that the funding is addressing <laughs> and are not short term problems that that will be solved within a you know an, a, a given a given financial year um but it, it wouldn't be for me at this no no yeah. <laughs> i know, no, I, I I know you understand um to, to you know make a preemptive spending commitment yeah. for, shadow minister promises <laughs> <laughs> we've got it for life yeah i mean that's the thing you've just mentioned that financial year thing and that's that's you know i remember probably 2017 that was the biggest comment that was made um around asf is a child's life isn't a financial year or, mm -hmm. or, or you know lives don't go in financial years but you know when it comes to deciding how much um kind of finance we can support families and and young people you know that is what it comes down to a, a financial year and especially in local authorities you know they're like you say they've been squeezed and squeezed and squeezed you know and it's a case of well do we empty the bins or do we you know do, you know, do we offer services like SureStart? I mean, you know, it's it's yeah, it's a tricky one. Yeah, mm. yeah. Can I ask one, um, one of the things that the, you know one of the things the Caribbean is very clear about is that the costs. You know, the, if the government does nothing yeah. on children's social care, the costs continue to go up. Yeah. So this mm. is you know this, this I mean, that speaks kind of more clearly than anything, you know, to my mind, to the urgent need for reform, because those costs aren't going up, delivering positive outcomes for children at that point, they're going up, you know, in response to crises, yeah. situations yeah, yeah. continuing to escalate and to, and, and to get worse. So, yeah. you know, treading water um, almost. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, I am conscious we've taken a lot of your time, uh, but I'd love to, to get your views on special guardianship and kinship, and also uh, young carers, because I know that that's something that I've mm. seen. You know, you, you've, it's, you know, what you've been talking about, um, and I think, you know, well, just as an open question, really, what, yeah, what are your views on, you know, supporting special guardianship arrangements, which just feel have been really, just hidden, or just like wallpaper it's just there it's just happening and finally the care review the one thing positive out of the care review was that there was this kind of hmm. opening up of this issue so yeah. what have you got any sort of profound or just yeah. any thoughts so so i think um you know it's really clear from you know the experiences of of lots of special guardians that um that the support and advice and information just very very often isn't there at all at the start of the process and um you know it doesn't seem at all right that you know people who do you know what i think any of us would do you know think think about my nieces and nephews and you know the children of close friends and so on you know we would all step in to look after the child of a um close family member yeah. if, their, if their own parents weren't able to do that and so you know you find yourself in a crisis situation with very little information, without proper access to legal advice and support, without understanding often the implications of the process that you're entering into, and then finding it sort of far too difficult further down the line to access support. And again, the kind of support that's provided through social work, I think, is 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 a part. Of, you know, I speak to people who've got special guardians with families. 
yeah. in their own in circumstances where it yeah. just seems like you know entirely yeah. wrong that that is that that that, that is the case it's you know not only have, have they taken on you know the costs and or, you know everything that 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 crisis situation has meant for you know their own family and home life but they're also then mediating this you know it, often often very yeah. difficult situation with with both parents as well and it, and it, it you know it just should it should be better better supported than it is but it, it it's also it shouldn't be you know, this is you know what we want is for decision making around the different routes to care to be appropriate to each and every family situation yeah. and yeah. i think there are also examples where special guardianship has become the the default because it's perhaps cheaper than other options and well, you know that, that's wow. you know yeah because i am within the sort of the adoption community a lot of families find themselves in those circumstances and the advice i find myself giving which is the worst advice in the world is you know if if a social worker comes to you and says well you take your child say i can't tonight but i can tomorrow because then they will be a looked after child mm-hmm. but yeah. you have to put your child through that your, your grandchild, niece, nephew, whoever, yeah. because you know that if they become a previously looked after child, it opens resources that you will never, ever get. Yeah. And you think, what a position to put any family in. Mm-hmm. You're just awful mm-hmm. so that they can access resources for a lifetime as opposed to, yeah. yeah. Awful. And, and I, I remember the, the kind of the focus in on moving children from foster care into special guardianship kinship arrangements um when i was a panel member in a local authority um and a number of permanence cases that were coming through the panel what just shot up overnight because that was the focus uh, to happen and and that's fine but i don't think we any of us realized at that point that you know they were going to be put in this position where there was going to be back then no support because the um the asf didn't um cover them um but also you know they were there was this issue around social workers and mm. there being enough who can actually support them because, mm-hmm. you know, not all these families are, are as robust as, as you know, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to say adopters are the best thing, but, you know, adopters yeah. are put in that yeah. position where they fight and they advocate for their children and not all the families that are SGO and kinship are able to do that. You know, yeah. finances being one of the issues, but also their, their ability to, to kind of, keep on yeah. going because they're, yeah. they're they're biologically connected to these children so whilst it was maybe a good idea i think longer term you know it was it was a short-term solution mm. and there was there was kind of no long-term fix so mm. yeah young carers give us i'd be really interested to hear because it's something we've never discussed at all i don't think have mm-hmm. we scott um no. on the podcast no. so what are your thoughts and aspirations for young carers um well then i think young carers you know i've met so many extraordinary young people who've got a caring responsibility mm. for you know siblings or parents or um grandparents and you know i think we've got a duty to make sure that every possible support is available to them i think it's about making it easier to identify young carers particularly i think schools have got a really important role um in in that regard as the the, the place where you know most children and young people are most of the time and uh, you know that 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 they that where there are the that those relationships with teachers and pastoral staff in in schools but then um you know that should open up access to you know better support for, through through 
social workers and through the local authority system and better access to therapeutic support as well. Um, one of the things that we've got a commit, we have got a firm commitment to um, as the Labour Party is to put mental health support, professional mental health support into every school in the country um, by way of full time staff in, in secondary schools and access to staff in primary schools. Mm. Um, and I, I, I'd expect that that would make a real difference for um, young carers who are, um, you know, in in the school system, yeah. having somewhere to go to, to to process and understand, you know, the the challenges that they've been through, um, you know, and also as a route to to seeking further further advice and support as well. Um, you know, young young carers are often, you know, the most extraordinary young people as well that they've, you know, often been through experiences that, um, uh, you know, they've got you know skills and resilience and an ability to fight for things and, um, you know, get stuff done um, that is, you know, over and above that of many of uh, of their peers and and, and they just need support. Um, that's, I yeah. think that's really interesting because mental health Thank is, you. I mean, for, for everywhere, mental health is a really big issue, isn't it? But certainly yeah. if we can get it right mm. for younger people, then, you know, maybe that yeah. over time will help to reduce the number of issues. And stuff. Absolutely. And the same is true for care leavers as well. Yeah. That, that, you know, uh, that making sure that there is access on an ongoing basis mm. for mental health support yeah. um, as, you, as you go into adulthood. I think yeah. it's really important. There's so much more we could have talked about. Oh, yes. Oh, oh, yes. We, we, we might have I to think get we've done a lot. We've covered a lot, actually, and it's been absolute. I've, I've really enjoyed it, actually. Thank you for, um, yes, thank you. for giving us your time, Helen. It's been really appreciated. And I guess, um, you know, if... It happens if the inevitable happens, in my eyes anyway, that, um, you know, we get a new government, or sorry, the UK gets a new government. (laughs) 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 Um, And then, you know, I I, I genuinely hope that, you know, that children, young people will become a a focus again, because I think it's been, you know, it's, it's been kind of tickled but I think it needs to to be worked on a lot thingy so a lot thingy a lot um more in depth should we say so <laughs> thank you so much for joining us we really appreciate it I will look forward to receiving my labor discount code in the post and uh, <laughs> 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 um, but th- your time has been really appreciated we've really enjoyed chatting to you so thank you it's so much been a pleasure thank you thank you thank you, thank you.